Hey, listen, we are continuing to work through this blueprint, who we are as Summit Church, and I want to say this right now, if you are Summit Church, um, these things, our, our foundation, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, our mission to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ, and then as we walk through each pillar, if you call yourself a member of, if you make this your church home, these things, these pillars, mission and foundation should typify you. And uh, so today we come to spiritual growth. And as I think about spiritual growth, um, I think about the importance of that in the life of each individual. But it, 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 it makes me think, Larry, let's start with what it really means to actually grow, like personally grow. There are some things that the Lord brings into our lives that are both messy moments of personal growth And then there are marvelous moments of personal growth. When I think about messy in my life, you would think after ninth grade being placed on academic probation because I wasn't passing enough classes, I was forced to sit out from playing basketball for the school team for two weeks. You would think that growing in my educational process, I would have learned my lesson then. But then, of course, you move on into my sophomore year of college. So a lot of time existed between ninth grade and sophomore year of college. Guess what? Didn't learn my lesson. Did not do well. Found myself on academic probation. And I got a letter saying, if you don't achieve this grade point average at the end of next semester, you will not be invited back to the college. And so... That's when the Lord got my attention. But here's what I'd done. I'd taught myself that I was not intelligent, that I was not bright. So I spent the next eight years thinking I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. First interview, I sat down with Prudential, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I drove 50 minutes in my suit, carrying my briefcase, looking as professional as I could at the age of 24 years old. And I walk in and they, they present me with this computer. You're going to go and sit down in this office. You're going to take this test. And then what it turned out to be, it was this personality test. And they were asking questions that had nothing to do with the job. Scared me to death. I took two pages of it. I'm sitting there sweating, thinking they're going to know I'm stupid. That's what I thought because I had taught myself that I was not smart. So I started hitting delete and escape and control alt delete and this siren starts going off in the computer. And so I'm looking around, I'm looking down the hall and I closed the laptop, grabbed my briefcase, I went out and drove home. I didn't even finish the test. And so I get a call a week or so later and they're just like, hey, you never finished the test? You want to, yep, I'm done with that. Messy moments. You teach yourself things because of a lack of ability to grow. But you know what? Then the Lord brings marvelous things and he brings people into your lives and you can count on their confidence in you. I had a very dear and precious wife that believed I could actually achieve in college. I went back to school eight years later and I graduated from Shippensburg University, summa cum laude. Priorities. That's not a gloat. That's like, what? why did it take you so long to figure it out? But it also took the life of an individual to encourage me to go ahead and do that. So praise God for people in my life for both messy and marvelous moments as I grew personally, but then, then, you know, we have to think in terms of spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is saying, look, the why is coming in the road, and I know my way looks harder, and your way looks easier. You're presented with an opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit, and you're like, no, I'm not going to do it because this way looks easier, and ultimately it ends up being a Holy Spirit-driven moment of personal spiritual growth because he's walking you through a rocky place that he never wanted you to go. He he remains with you. It gets messy. 
And in your head, you're like, if only I would have gone this way, the way he told me to. But then there are those marvelous moments where you actually say, all right, Holy Spirit, I know you're calling me to move to West Michigan from Pennsylvania, your home. I know you don't want to go, but please trust me this time. It's going to be marvelous. So I listened, and we moved to West Michigan. And all along the way, the Lord presented me with person after person after person, from parents to grandparents to friends and pastors and family and my wife, and on and on the list goes. And he brings me to this place here, and I look at the blessing upon blessing upon blessing of listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The prayers I receive from you, the fellowship I get to share with you, can't imagine not having that in my life. People in our lives, both messy and marvelous moments that the Lord uses to fashion us, to make us look more like him, that we would be presented mature in Christ. That's our lives in relationship with the Lord, that we would be presented mature in Christ. And I want you to know this. Again, I'm going back to if you are some at church, this should be the desire of your heart for yourself as you are a a proclaimer of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and it should be a desire for those that hear that they would mature in their relationship with Christ. Mature. Mature in Christ. That should be your desire, Summit Church. That's the desire of your elders, your small group leaders, the the, the ones that are teaching your kids. That is our desire. Why? Because your your spiritual growth is for your own personal good. It absolutely is. It's also the will of the Lord that you would grow in your relationship with him. And ultimately this, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you are being sanctified and it is for his glory that God would be glorified. And so today, three questions that we're going to look to answer, and this is what they are. Why? Why does growing in the Lord matter so much? That's the first question we're going to look to answer. Here's the second one. The second one. What does it take to grow in the Lord? And then the third is, how do I know I am growing in the Lord? Today's anchor passage is the one that you will see at the foot of the pillar, spiritual growth. It comes from Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse 28 and 29. Really? One verse plus 29 is today's sermon, and I'm ecstatic about that preaching two verses. And so, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and this is what the Word of God says. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May the word of God speak to us today. First question, why does growing in the Lord matter so much? Well, there are are three things that I believe we can point to as to why. Before we get into the meat of the passage, I want to address address this. Why does growing in the Lord matter so, so much? First, it's the will of the Lord. Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, it is the will of the Lord, your sanctification. And so you'll hear sanctification, spiritual growth, growing in your relationship with the Lord, all of these simply mean that I am becoming less of me 
and more of Jesus. People are seeing more of Jesus expressed in my life and less of me being expressed in my life. That's the will of the Lord. And we know this. Sometimes it comes that we can pray all day long, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done. But there are times where we say, I'm going to express my will, and he gets our attention, and he brings us back and brings us into a line with his will. But growing in the Lord matters so much because it's his will. Here's another one. Because it brings him glory. This is ultimately it. It brings God glory. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this, that you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And why is it a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is why. Because God has given you his Holy Spirit to dwell inside you. And he says, once that happens... You are no longer your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Imagine now you buy a puppy, and your puppy really, no matter what you say is, you're there for him. That's not true. Your puppy is there for you. But what happens when that puppy determines that the puppy is there for himself? And he lives like the devil. And let's say he never gives up on devilish living. You can't stand that animal. You want him out of your house. When we come into relationship with Jesus, he purchases us, and he intends for us not to live like the devil because he wants us ultimately to glorify him. He says, I have purchased you. You are no longer your own. I bought you with a price, and now, trust me, When I get my glory through you, you are going to absolutely love it. It brings God glory, and here's a third. It's for your good, for both now and forevermore. When you're growing in your relationship with the Lord, taking on his likeness, it is good for both now and evermore. Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths because they're not good, they aren't helpful, but rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself to look like God. Train yourself to be sanctified. Growing in your relationship with the Lord because while your body, training for your body is of some value, godliness is of value in every way and holds promise for both now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. There is value for your life today. And God, as he gets his will, you're going to experience it. Do you take on the likeness of Jesus Christ? There are some that see coming into relationship with Christ as the ending point. All right, I accepted that Jesus has died on the cross for me and saved me from my sins. They get stuck on receiving this pure spiritual milk and they, they, they cannot stretch on to food that brings them to maturity. As the writer of Hebrews in chapter five says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice discerning good from evil. As we enter into relationship with Christ, receiving this pure milk of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, he opens us up to an entire world of truth and amazement and wonder and awe as he reveals to us the good things and the bad things and the desires he has for us and the joy it is to be in relationship with him. As he shows us, this is awful, don't go there, this is good, go here.
It's for your good. It's for your good today. It's for your joy today. But also what we do today echoes into eternity. Listen to this. You remember Jesus Christ, the word of God, our foundation. Diving into the importance of building on the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ in the word he has given us to declare who he is. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Paul says this, that according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master, he says, I laid a foundation, the, the foundation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. And then once you accept the truth of who that is, he establishes you on himself, Jesus does. And he puts us on a mission and he provides for us these building materials with which to build on gold, silver, jewels, precious gems, on and on. And then there's also wood, hay, and straw. What you do today echoes into eternity. And there's a day coming when each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day where you step out of this world and into eternity, you're going to stand face to face with the Lord and you're going to have a talk about the building materials that you used. And you're going to walk through this fire and what comes out on the other end is going to reveal how you honor God with your life here on earth. And when you walk through, Paul goes on to say, you're going to receive a a reward. But some, you're going to walk through and things are going to be burned up and you will be saved, but only as coming through that fire. What do you think that heavenly reward is? Yep, we get to enjoy relationship with Christ here. It echoes on into eternity. The things we do here is we walk through, God says you're going to have a reward. You know, don't think in terms of like a heavenly Ferrari or the ability to fly from this place or to that place or the ability to walk through walls or any of that. I mean, that's, that's, that's fleshly, human, selfish thinking. Like I used to joke with guys in the youth group when I worked with them back home in Pennsylvania, you better be good to me because here's what's gonna happen. The chances are, since I'm like 15, 20 years older than you, I'm going to enter into eternity, into eternity before you. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to trash your mansion. Which speaks, to, which speaks to this. We're actually concerned with our material possessions in heaven. That's not it. Remember, what you do here echoes into eternity. Here's what I believe the reward is. Number one, you're going to walk and you're going to stand face to face and look into these incredible eyes of mercy. And then, depending on how you permitted to use the Lord in your life as you grew spiritually and took on the likeness of Christ, you're going to see the reward of this person and that person and my wife and my sons and my daughters-in-law and my grandkids and this neighbor and that neighbor and all that God chooses to use you for to represent, to, to declare him You're going to step into eternity and you're going to see your reward. There is nothing that brings John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, greater joy than knowing his kids are walking with the Lord because he knows one day they will be with him in heaven. If you are some at church, that's your heart's desire that you live for Christ today so it echoes into eternity so you can see your eternal reward and that's those that the Lord has brought with you because of the way you lived for him. I got to challenge you. There are some right now, like as an 18-year-old, and I read, I read that, look, hey, I give my life to the Lord. 
I give my life to him. Praise God, I'm in the kingdom. And then I don't do anything for the rest of my life to speak of. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I might pray before meals. But here's what happens. As an 18-year-old, I'm like, wait a minute. Even if I'm using these wood, hay, and stubble, these senseless things in my life to try and serve the Lord, even though it burns up, you're telling me I'm still going to be saved? Well, that's what this passage says. But here's, that's not a way to live. Because Paul says we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. John Piper even knows when he says, when, when Paul says that we're supposed to make our calling and our election sure, he says this, John Piper, we have full confidence that we're going to be saved in spending eternity with Jesus. We have full confidence in that. He said, but we don't know until we get there. And for John Piper to say that, he is living in such a way, we should be living in such a way that we are proving to ourselves, not to God, that we are making his calling and election sure in our lives, our salvation sure. It's when I was 18, I wasn't sure. Today, I'm more sure than I was when I was 18. Praise God, he's working out his salvation in me. And I wonder if he's doing that to you. So listen. If you're someone that's like, oh, praise God, I'm going to be saved. You need to imagine this. You're running with all your might. You see the gates of, um, of our heavenly dwelling open wide, and they're closing, closing, closing. And you're running thinking, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And then the gates hit you on your butt as you come through, and you land flat on your face before Jesus. And he's like, don't you wish you would have tried just a little bit harder? If you are playing with fire like that, I'm going to use one word, apathy. That's where you are. And it's time to become unapathetic and get after it because what you do today echoes into eternity. All right? Three reasons why growing in our relationship with the Lord is such a big deal. Now, here leads us to our second question. What does it take to grow in the Lord? And this is verse 28. You ready? We got to fly because there's so much in this one verse plus 29. All right. Verse 28, him we proclaim. Here's what I hear when I see that. The apostle Paul says, him we proclaim. We are proclaiming the mighty work of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the proclaimer. A mouth willing to speak and ears willing to hear. This is what it takes to grow in the Lord. I imagine the Colossian church celebrating the truth of who this man Epaphras is, because he is the man, if you turn back to chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, he is the man that Paul sent to declare the gospel message of Jesus Christ to this church in this city. And he said, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel through Epaphras. You've heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our brother, or excuse me, our beloved fellow servant and his faithful minister of gospel of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I imagine, I imagine When they're reading verse 28, they're thinking back to this man that came and declared the gospel message to them. And as a result, provoking them to share the gospel with people that would listen to him. It takes someone to proclaim and it takes ears open to hear. And so let me challenge you with this. Who do you praise God for? 
Man, when I look at my life for both personal and spiritual growth, I go back to my parents and my grandparents. And the list goes on and on right up to today to have you being in fellowship with me and me in fellowship with you, knowing that the Lord has placed us in each other's lives to provoke us to take on the likeness of Jesus Christ. Who do you have to praise God for? Now, here comes a hard one. Who, who praises God for you. I think back to Jasper's sermon on personal evangelism. Who praises God for you as it relates to the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Another question for you. Who has the Lord placed on your heart in this moment. And it's time. It's time. It's time to proclaim Him. I'll tell you what. There is not a greater spiritual joy than to declare the Word of God to an individual. And as I sit with people on a regular basis, you know the ones that are absorbing the Word And they come in with their mess that they have made of their lives. And it's no good when they're sitting down with you, the life that that they've made a mess. And all you need to do is take a moment and read the Word of God, and you can see the ones who are receiving it, who have ears open to hear it as the Word is being proclaimed. They're changing, 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 because I am in relationship with Him. My mess will be resolved by Him in His time. It's all right. When you can proclaim the word of God to, to, to individuals in their mess, seeing their faces change, what a glorious experience it is. Growing in the Lord takes someone to speak and ears to listen. Here's another one, a willingness to warn and a willingness to be warned. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. How? With all wisdom. Warning Warning. So after Paul pens verses 28 and 29, if you flip over to chapter 2, well, warn for what? What is he warning? What do we have to be warning people of? What do we have to be warned of? And he's warned of. And he says this. Verses that were presented to me, you've heard me quote them before, in a time of deep darkness. When I was tempted to trust in the things of this world, someone shared this with me. It says this. Therefore, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. This is your truth. Live in him. Strengthen and build up in him, overflowing with thankfulness as you were taught. And then he says this. This is the warning, he says to the Colossian church. See to it that no one, no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Things of this world, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which are based on human tradition, things that man comes up with, and the basic principles of this world, how they make sense of what they believe and what they see around them, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been given him. He's warning, don't fall prey to the things of this world. Look at what the Colossian church was facing. I'm just going to breeze right through it. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. They were being challenged with, yes, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, you need the cross, but you also need to do this. 
You need to watch what you eat. You need to watch what you drink. You need to practice this festival. You need to make this day more important than another. You need to, draw, you need to um, deny yourself of these certain pleasures. You need to, you need to worship angels saying, don't handle this, don't taste this, don't touch that. These all have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That was the warning he provided them. In Christ, all the deity dwells in bodily form and you have been given him. Where do you go for your answers? To Jesus Christ. King Solomon, he says this, the words of the wise are like goads, so the scriptures are like goads, and by these you are warned. There is no end of making many books, and much study wearies the body. So what he's saying is, trust in the foundation of Jesus Christ and the word that declares who he is. That's where we find our wisdom That's where we find our warning. We need someone to proclaim. We need someone to warn. Here's a third one. We also need to have a willingness to listen to wisdom and to teach with wisdom. It's a willingness to listen and to teach with wisdom. Him we proclaim, warning everyone with all wisdom, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. All right, so you bring someone to the feet of Jesus, and they give themselves in relationship to him. They're like, I want the Lord to be my Savior, and I want to serve him. So you remember? So now what? What would you do? Here's what I would do. Forgive me for sticking too closely to my notes, but it's necessary. Here's what I would do. I would say this. So, since you have been raised with Christ, I want you now to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where your attention should be. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the stuff of this earth. For you have died and you are now hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What an amazing day that will be. So, because Jesus Christ has done this for you, we should do this. We should lay aside these types of things, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Also, also, you should probably avoid being angry, expressing wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Stop lying to each other. These are the things that you need to put aside. Why? Because of what Christ has done for you. You are hidden in him. Instead, this is what you should, because you put on, since you are chosen by God and you are now his, this is what you should do. You should do things like this. Recognize that Christ has made you holy and you are beloved by him. So put on compassionate hearts, kindness, be humble, be meek, be patient, bear with each other. When you have a complaint against another, be willing to forgive as the Lord Jesus has forgiven you. He says, so because I've forgiven you, you must also forgive and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in his body. Oh, also be thankful. He says, be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Now that you have him, let his word dwell in you. Teach each other, admonish each other with all wisdom. I want you to sing together, sing hymns and spiritual songs. This is what I want you to do. And whatever you do, let's make sure we're doing it in word and deed doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to God the Father through him. You bring someone to the feet of Jesus. So now what? That's what I would do. That's exactly what I would do. Because all I did for you right there was walk right through Colossians chapter 3. All I did was essentially read the word to you. It is not a threat to have someone come to you and say, so now what do I do? I would do this. I'd take him to Colossians chapter 3 or Ephesians chapter 4, and I'd say, this is what we do because of what he did for us. We want to take on the likeness of Christ, so there are these things that he's asking us to put away, and there's these things that he wants us to put on. That's what I would do. We need people to proclaim, to warn, and to teach. And here's a fourth one. We must have a willingness to be dependent and to be dependable. Paul says, for this I toil. Look at verse 29. He says, for this I toil. He knew exactly what he was going after, struggling with what? All of his energy and the power that powerfully works within him. He says, for this I toil. He knew exactly what he was going after. He was willing to spend himself physically, knowing that all along the way, while he was weary over here spiritually or or physically, his spirit inside was being renewed day by day because he was after the very thing that Jesus had called him to do. With his energy, with his energy, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's easy. Yeah, you might be spent physically, but you will still be restored and rejuvenated along the way because you are using the, en- or the energy of the eternal God. Powerfully working within us, toiling for Christ requires his energy. And ultimately this, if you are some at church, you have a desire to see some at church maturing in their relationship with the Lord. So when we enter into the eternal presence of our Lord, we're able to look around and say, look, we're mature in Christ. What an incredible experience that's going to be, a party with Jesus that you can't imagine. I love it. What does it take to grow in the Lord? It takes those four things. And now, since we know it's a big deal, And since we know, based on Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, what it takes to be growing in our relationship with the Lord, how about this? It leads us to a third question. And it's one that you should be asking yourself constantly. How do I know I'm growing? How do I know I am growing in the Lord? Two things. How do I know I'm growing in the Lord? Here's the first one. You know, in Romans chapter 7, Paul is... He's kind of experiencing a moment of disgust because you know it. He knows the things that he's supposed to do, but he does not have the power to do them. The very things he doesn't want to do, sin, they're the things that he keeps on doing. And at the end, he says, wretched man that I am. And then he praises God because he knows if I look into the eyes of the Lord of mercy, he knows, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for me as I wrestle with this. So this is how you know you're growing in your relationship with the Lord. When you're presented with the magnificence of who he is, and you look at yourself in a moment of confession, this is what happens to your confession. These sins 
that I confessed over and over and over and over again are now this. They've turned into this. I am no longer confessing for those sins. I'm confessing, God, I still know what I am capable of in my flesh. Praise, praise you that I no longer struggle with that, but I confess to you I know my weakness, and that could become a thing again. So I'm confessing my flesh. I'm confessing me. Praise God for the victory he's given me over this. But praise God, he's also given me eyes to see. I'm still capable of that. That's what spiritual growth looks like personally. Instead of doing these things, I'm no longer a liar. I'm no longer angry. I am now a truth teller who lives life with great patience. I confess, yep, I can do that. Praise God that I don't wrestle with that like I used to. That's an expression of spiritual growth. And here's another one. The mission, glorifying God in your life, the mission, glorifying God by making a disciples of Jesus Christ becomes more and more and more important to you as you see time is slipping away, slipping away, slipping away. It becomes more important to you. I look at our pillars, and as each one is being preached, I was uh, convicted um, I was convicted. Kate and I were headed up to Buffalo Wild Wings last Sunday night, and I'm realizing a fervent prayer, the fervent prayer pillar. My sons see me pray. They've seen me pray. They know I pray. But I have to confess, I don't know that I ever actually taught them to pray. And I was convicted. Fervent prayer. If I'm so fervent about it, why am I not teaching my sons to be fervent? So I turned to Kate and I said, man, forgive me. I didn't do that. And it makes me wonder about the other pillars. I don't want to talk to him about that. But you know what he said? Pray for the Lord's grace. He said to me, well, maybe you did teach me. Or I learned it somewhere else, but I know what fervent prayer is, and I know that I need it in my life. And so I'm like, praise God. Even if it's not me, it's someone else in the fellowship of believers. How do you know you're growing in the Lord when sin's grip becomes less and less and when God's mission matters more and more? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Man, I love it. I pray that it hits each heart where it needs to be hit. And God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in the life of Summit Church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.